Arizona's sports station. The Rundown Reload. Rundown Reload. It is the Rundown, April 21st, 2020 edition. I'm your host, Luke Lipinski, Michaela Perkins, producing as always. Let's get right into it. The NFL draft is getting closer by the second. And Cardinals, of course, picking eighth in the first round as it stands right now. Uh, At least as I record this, maybe you're listening a day from now and they've made a trade. I don't really know. I can't predict the future. But at the moment, they are set to pick eighth in the, uh, the first round on Thursday night. We've talked a lot about what the Cardinals may or may not do, and we certainly will still here in the next 48 hours. But I actually want to start today's show taking a look around the NFC West. Think about this. This was the best division in the NFL last year. I understand a lot can change in the NFL from one season to the next. I totally get that. And I think a lot of us here are banking on that with a last place team in the Arizona Cardinals that we feel like can make a push up the standings. But as it stands, they are in the most difficult division in the NFL. 49ers went to the Super Bowl, nearly won it last year. The Rams allegedly went to the Super Bowl the year before. They were at least on all the posters. They didn't really show up to the game. At least their offense didn't. But regardless, you have the Rams and 49ers who have each been to a Super Bowl in the last two seasons. You have the Seahawks led by Russell Wilson, who is one of the best quarterbacks in the league. He's building a Hall of Fame career. I mean, he's still, what is he, about the halfway point probably of his career. The start of last season, he was maybe your your league MVP for, I don't know, the first six, seven, eight weeks of last year. So you know those three teams are good. The Cardinals are becoming a trendy pick among media types and experts and whatever around uh, just around the country looking at, at uh, the NFL because of Kyler Murray, the excitement that he uh, that he brings to the table, that the profile he brings that the Cardinals don't necessarily have on their own. But Kyler Murray, all of a sudden you've got the reigning rookie of the year quarterback and people are going to pay more attention. They've got a potentially really fun offense. It's going to be fun either way, but it can be really fun if they end up with another receiver early in this draft. So this is one of the most difficult divisions to navigate. I think it's at least worth taking a look at where these other teams are picking. San Francisco, by virtue of that trade with Indianapolis, and they gave up a good player, DeForest Buckner, in that trade, they're going to pick 13th. And they're going to pick 31st. They don't pick again until 156th. So I'm going to say this right now. If you're a Cardinals fan, you do not want San Francisco pulling off a trade during this draft. For additional picks, at least. Because if you look at the 49ers specifically, yeah, maybe they surprised some people by going all the way to the Super Bowl last year. But much like the Cardinals this year, we knew San Francisco was on the rise heading into last season. They get all the way to the Super Bowl They spend their money this offseason essentially keeping that team together for the most part. I mean, you're going to lose some pieces, but essentially keeping that team together, which means the only way they can really, truly add impact players right now and maybe for the next couple years, depending on how this plays out, is by drafting them. They're going to get a guy at 13. I mean, if you look at the 49ers, they need receivers. They need offensive line help. How much have we been looking at those two positions for the Cardinals at eight? especially before they they pulled off the DeAndre Hopkins trade. So you know that this is a loaded draft class for receivers, and there's a lot of good offensive linemen as well, or or at least offensive linemen with with potential there in those top dozen or so picks. So San Francisco is going to fill a need there. ESPN has a story up today about how they have to find impact players with their two first-round picks because they don't have another pick until the fifth round. And again, 
that's really the only way for them to add impact players to what they had last year at this point is by drafting them. So San Francisco is certainly a team to keep an eye on. That's uh, that's just the way it always is. Jerry Judy could be going there. I've seen a few mocks where he's going to the 49ers. It's interesting. You have Henry Ruggs III. You have Jerry Judy. You have CeeDee Lamb. I think Cardinals fans just sort of gauging off the reaction I get from, from a lot of you. Of those three would prefer CeeDee Lamb. And I don't know if that is simply from what you saw from him on the field or the fact that he has already played a season of football with Kyler Murray at Oklahoma. Either way, I'm not saying you're wrong. Todd McShay, though, on Jerry Judy, who I feel like was was the consensus top receiver when the season ended, when the college football season ended, and now is kind of, you know, he's just part of that, that three-headed monster that is probably all going to be drafted in the first dozen or so picks. Todd McShay's quote on Jerry Judy, if you haven't heard this, he called him, quote, perhaps the most exceptional route runner I've ever seen coming out of college, unquote. I mean, that's not bad. There's still part of me that holds out just a little bit of hope the Cardinals come out of this draft with a receiver in the first round if they if they stay at eight, or if they're able to trade down to like 14, take an offensive lineman at 14, but add a second round pick. Maybe they can get a guy, a pretty good receiver, actually, they should be able to in the second round. So that's that's the 49ers. You have to keep an eye on them, certainly, because of what they did last year and the fact that they're still heading in the right direction. I'm not really sure the Rams are heading in the right direction. They need offensive line help. They have two picks in the second round, 52 and 57, but no picks in the top 50. And then the Seahawks probably need a pass rush more than anything else. Maybe a running back. They they pick at 27. The theme here is the Cardinals are going to pick before everybody else in the division. Okay, no, no shock. But even if they trade down, they probably are, with the possible exception of San Francisco picking at 13. You look at this, and to me it emphasizes how how great it would be, how important it is for the Cardinals to try and trade down and add a second-round pick. I say all of this, as I've been saying all along, with the caveat that if Isaiah Simmons is there at 8, I'm not trading that pick. I'm drafting Isaiah Simmons. Derek Brown, I like. Chase Young, obviously, is going to be gone at 2. So, in terms of just true instant impact defensive players you have no shot at Chase Young Derek Brown there's a decent chance he's there Isaiah Simmons is the one I want and I'm not saying that you can't get another impact defensive player if you don't get one of those three but it might be considered a bit of a reach on draft night if you're taking a defensive player that isn't one of those guys I guess Jeff Okuda too I'm just sort of assuming he's gone in the top seven if you're, if you're not taking, if you're the Cardinals and you're not getting Isaiah Simmons or maybe Derek Brown, but you are drafting a defensive player at eight, I think most people are going to look and say, okay, well, that's maybe a bit of a reach. Not that it's a bad pick, but at that point, you have to wait and see how it plays out. To me, if they get Isaiah Simmons on Thursday night, I'm pretty confident they have significantly upgraded their defense. If they don't, well, look at the the teams in the NFC West. Again, the Rams don't pick till 52. The Seahawks don't pick till 27. The 49ers do pick 13 and 31, but then they don't pick again until the fifth round. So if you can come out of this with, like, the 14th pick and then a second-round pick, if there's a team that's desperate to move up to eight to get a quarterback or whoever, I think there's a lot of value there for the Cardinals. I really do. 
As far as receivers, there's an interesting story up on ArizonaSports.com today. Just going through and looking at receivers that have been drafted in the top 10 over the last, it goes back to 2012, but it's it's just, it's the last five drafts in which a receiver was taken in the top 10. And you're thinking, okay, a guy got drafted in the, in the top 10, probably an instant impact guy, right? Or at least a guy with some staying power. It's hit or miss. Here are the names. There were none in the uh, in the top 10 last year or the year before. 2017, Corey Davis to the Titans at 5, Mike Williams to the Chargers at 7, John Ross to the Bengals at 9. I mean, I don't think anybody's given up on any of those guys. John Ross was really good at the start of last year before he got hurt. He really hadn't done a whole lot prior to that. He was great in college, University of Washington. Corey Davis, he was sort of pegged as the guy that was going to be the the Titans' top receiver of the future. That's A.J. Brown. I I think he pretty well took that and ran with it as a rookie last year. Mike Williams, you know, up up and down right now so far with the Chargers. No receivers in the top 10 in 2016. Amari Cooper in 2015 went fourth to the Raiders. Yeah, he's been pretty good. Not for the Raiders, but he's been pretty good. Kevin White to the Bears. I mean, Cardinals fans are familiar with him. He had the tryout last year. Poor guy just could not stay on the field. 2014, Sammy Watkins, another guy that can't stay on the field, but he's been on the field more than Kevin White. He has made an impact when he plays, but I don't think the the Bills would go back and take him fourth again if they could do it all over again. Mike Evans, seventh in 2014 to the Buccaneers. Yeah, he's pretty great. 2013, Tavon Austin to the Rams. I mean, looking back, eighth overall pick, that's too high. 2012, Justin Blackman, fifth of the Jaguars. I mean, he barely ever even played because he couldn't stay on the field for other reasons. So it just sort of highlights the fact that just because you're taking a receiver in the top 10 doesn't guarantee you're getting an instant impact guy. Or, in some of these cases, any sort of impact. And yeah, now we look back and we're like, Justin Blackman, what were they doing? Tavon Austin with the eighth pick. I mean, he's a specialist. Why are you taking him? Well, at the time... There was a lot of talk of, hey, you got to get this guy, just like there is with Ruggs and Judy and CeeDee Lamb right now. So if you're going to make that pick, you just got to be sure that it's the right guy, obviously. The Cardinals can't afford to keep the eighth pick and miss this year. They can't. The, The division is too difficult. Your window is opening the second this season begins. I'm hoping the season begins when it's supposed to in week one. But whenever the the, the next regular season football game is played, the Cardinals' window to win is opening. I'm not going to say it's open, but it's opening. Because, again, you have Kyler Murray either on a cheaper deal than he's he's worth, and he's going to develop into a, a great quarterback, and this is your chance to, to build a team around him while you still have him relatively cheap. Or, I mean, I guess the alternative is he never develops into that quarterback, and then <laughs> then I guess this is your window now because you don't really have one. Uh, but he's going to develop into that guy. So you got to try and win when you're not paying all your money to your quarterback. And that's now when he's still on that rookie deal. So you either have to hit on number eight, or you have to find a way to get a couple additional picks. But just taking a receiver because you assume he's going to be good because people are saying he's going to be good and he looked good in college, well, recent history tells you that's that's not a guarantee. Now, there are some good names in there. Mike Evans, pretty good. I would take Mike Evans on the Cardinals. And I, I think it's important to note, 
that if the Cardinals take Ruggs or Lamb or Judy, well, he's coming in not being asked to be dominant right away. But he's going to be asked to make an impact. But that's really the one position that they could realistically draft where they're not asking the guy to make a true instant impact. He'll be playing behind DeAndre Hopkins, Larry Fitzgerald, and Christian Kirk. He'll also be learning from DeAndre Hopkins, Larry Fitzgerald, and, you know, to a lesser extent, Christian Kirk, just because Kirk doesn't have the experience in this league yet. Certainly not that Larry Fitzgerald or DeAndre Hopkins have. ESPN NFL draft expert Jim Nagy was on with Doug and Wolf this morning. They asked him, you know, should the Cardinals, they should be looking to trade down? I think they're sitting in a good spot because, I mean, I'm always one to trade down. I mean, I, that's always my mindset, um, unless there's just a, a player up there in the top 10 that, that I don't think I could get another year. Um, and, and I don't know if that's the case this year. I mean, it, if Derek Brown is there or Javon Kinlaw, um, interior defensive linemen that have three down value that can, you know, really get a quarterback off the spot, those guys are really hard to find. Um, they're not as sexy as those edge rushers and, and you know, they you know, they don't show up on TV as much, but both those guys got the potential to be, you know, all pro level interior defensive linemen. So, you know, those guys are hard to find. So it might be one of those guys that I take a shot on. Yeah. One more from Jim Nagy. He was asked, who is the top tackle in this year's draft? You hear about a guy like Andrew Thomas from Georgia might be rising a little bit right now because offensive line coaches have, have spent time, you know, with Zoom conferencing the, the you know, uh, Andrew, mm-hmm. and he's probably blowing him away. The people at Georgia love the guy. So, you know, from a sheer talent perspective, um, you could make a case that Andrew's probably the fourth guy in that group. Um, but from a football makeup, he might be the he might be the top. So that's really that's really what you're trying to decipher right now, and, it, and it's really what the organization values the most. Are they are they trying to hit a home run with, with Makai Becton from Louisville, um, who probably has the highest ceiling? I think he has the highest ceiling of any of them. The most uh, you know the most raw talent, um, but there are some there are some questions about the makeup. That's the thing about offensive line. We were talking about this earlier today uh, off the air with a few people around the uh, the station. And just, you know, offensive line might prove to be the right pick. But what's scary about offensive line is you've got Mekhi Becton and you've got Tristan Wirfs and Andrew Thomas and Jedrick Wills. I really haven't heard a consensus, hey, this is the guy. Like, if you're going to take one of those those four offensive linemen, you want this guy, and then there's the other three. Or you want one of these two, and then there's these other two. It's just kind of, yeah, those are the four best offensive linemen in this draft. Okay, if I'm going to use the eighth pick in this draft on an offensive lineman, which is still a need, but it's not as glaring of a need as it's been in years past. Again, I can't get this pick wrong. So I want to know, going into the draft, hey, Tristan Wirfs is the guy. He's the offensive lineman. Or Andrew Thomas is the offensive lineman. And then all of a sudden you're watching the draft and he slips to eight. And you're like, okay, well, you know, I feel I feel pretty confident about that. Maybe the Cardinals on their own individual team board do have one that they like a lot more than the other guys. But if it's just, yeah, there's these four guys, you know, they're a little bit different, but they're all the same in terms of, of potential impact in year one. You do what you got to do, but that's why I find myself leaning more towards either receiver because you're not asking a lot of that guy right away, but you are, big picture certainly, or ideally they get an Isaiah Simmons or maybe even a Derek Brown or are able to trade down. For a wrap-up, too, I want to get to the DeAndre Hopkins story cover guy on, on Sports Illustrated. I mean, it's a long story, certainly. he's it's It's the cover of Sports Illustrated, but there's a couple quotes in there. And it's it's funny, the, the quotes with uh, with Bill O'Brien, everything we've heard, everything we've read 
consistently across the board. It just doesn't feel like Houston appreciated what they had. One of the quotes from Bill O'Brien, capital T, capital E, capital A, capital M. Everything that we do is made with the team in mind. We don't think about one player. We think about the future. That's the quote from Bill O'Brien. And, and he's, he's made some not-so-veiled references that maybe DeAndre Hopkins wasn't the world's biggest team player when he was in Houston. You read through the story, and, I mean, and Hopkins says flat out in it, I knew if I asked for a small raise, I'd probably get traded, and that's ultimately what I wanted. Well, here he is. you got a guy that's motivated to be anywhere other than Houston. How can you not be motivated if you're a receiver to be in Arizona right now with Larry Fitzgerald, Christian Kirk, and then Kyler Murray throwing you the ball, Cliff Kingsbury's offense? So you've got that. The quote from DeAndre Hopkins back, quote, I'm a stress-free person. I live in the present. I only care about this T-E-A-M, unquote. I love it. <laughs> he just, those two, he goes on to say in there that they just, they had no relationship, Hopkins and Bill O'Brien. Okay, I mean, we've, we've gathered that. I think you, you probably could tell that before the trade was even made. And certainly if, if O'Brien's willing to trade Hopkins away for what the Cardinals had to give back, it just doesn't seem like Bill O'Brien fully appreciated what he had in DeAndre Hopkins. So from a Cardinals perspective, isn't it fair to wonder, did they use this guy right? And I think they did. I mean, if you look at DeAndre Hopkins' numbers, it does feel like they got the most out of him, or they obviously at least got a lot out of him. But is there a way the Cardinals could get more out of him? Because just logically... You have player A and you have a head coach that doesn't really seem to fully appreciate what he has in player A. Then don't you think if player A gets traded to another team, it's possible they could unlock even more from him? Like to me, it's possible DeAndre Hopkins has the same or maybe even slightly lesser numbers this year with the Cardinals than he had with Houston the last couple years because he really was the guy in Houston. Maybe here the numbers get divided up a little bit more in the passing game. It's possible he has the same or or maybe even slightly lesser just raw numbers, but has his best season. I think that's possible. Again, you've got one of the two or three best receivers in the NFL. He's got extra motivation. He feels liberated because he's not playing for Bill O'Brien. He's not playing in, in Houston anymore. He's in an offense that there's a real good possibility this offense just clicks and goes off, especially passing-wise this year. It's possible the Cardinals can get one of DeAndre Hopkins' best seasons of his career out of him this year. And and maybe that does mean better numbers, but I think there's a scenario where, you know, he still has a really good year, puts up 1,000 yards, but because they have Kirk and they have Fitz and Kenyon Drake can catch and maybe get somebody in the draft, you know, maybe, maybe he doesn't have quite the extreme great numbers that he's had the last couple of years, but maybe he has a more impactful season. We'll see. But the one thing that is is not up for debate, those two, Bill O'Brien and DeAndre Hopkins, whatever side you're on of that debate or that feud, it's clear that they that, that was gonna that was ending. And Hopkins was gonna get traded somewhere. So credit Steve Kime for realizing Houston was in position to potentially undervalue their best asset and then jump in. Credit him for that. Steve Kime has whiffed a lot in the draft. He's made some good picks, too. He's made some bad moves, made some good moves. But that move to identify the fact that Houston had dysfunction between their coach and their best player and to jump in and say, 
hey, we'll take that guy off your hands. And you need a running back that can catch, don't you? Well, here, we have this guy. Don't look at his stats after 2016. Just take him and take all his money, too. That's going to go down as, as one of Steve Kimes' best moves of his career. It might just be the best move of his career. All right, that's going to do it for us. Thanks to you for listening. Thanks to Michaela Perkins for producing. We'll be right back at it again tomorrow on the eve of the NFL Draft. This has been The Rundown. I'm Luke Lipinski on ArizonaSports.com.